0: lift the people who are coming from a pace of love oftentimes we get into this combative energy of just literally going to war with the colonizer and it's like ping pong that's the difference between being reactionary and revolutionary or evolutionary
1: this is studio confessions the art and wellness podcast i'm your host luis martin the art engineer Let me take you with me, listen in for conversations with artists and culture makers alike, as we talk about their creative practice and what moves them. Let me share my wax poetic monologues and how to activate your creativity to live an inspired and more beautiful life. That's right, I said beautiful. Welcome to the studio. I'm glad you're here. Hola, Yasmin. Hola, como estamos? very good it's so good to hear your voice and see your face for a little bit <laughs>
0: yeah i know likewise likewise i miss you i miss working with you
1: oh my god it's been such a long time uh we know each other from our uh, stomping grounds in el museo del barrio isn't that right that is correct that is correct and you are kind of not in that area anymore where are you
0: so yes um seven years ago I
1: left New York City and I moved to Puerto Rico. Que sabroso. That sounds amazing. Now, I'm sure it's not as simple as, you know, like in the movies, cut from New York and then cut to the beaches of Puerto Rico. How has uh, that transition been for you?
0: Uh, It's been life-changing, to say the least. Um, Just because it wasn't, you know, my work, has always been mostly about this place. This is where my parents were born. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. And so I guess art was a way to fill the gap, right? The void of feeling like I didn't know this place at least enough. And so it was very much from my creative practice, but then we happened to arrive at a time in which everything just kind of hit, you know, the debt crisis which was of course like a century of colonialism in the making, but uh, just it, news hit the airwaves right after we got here. And then um, that kind of brought a lot of austerity and different things. And then three years into our time here was the, the infamous hurricane season. And, you know, all leading to where we are now as a planet with a pandemic. <laughs> so. I I laugh just because of the intensity, right? And by no means is it funny, but I will say that there was there's no other place I'd rather be to have experienced all of this than here. This is my womb. This is my home.
1: Uh, that's amazing. And I mean, as you're saying this, I think I'm I'm having flashbacks of your work, your paintings, and your mural work, and yeah, it all just makes sense, right? That 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 you would have to be a witness to this evolution uh, and be part of it in some way. When when all of this hit the fan, the proverbial fan, did any part of you say, uh, maybe I'm going to go back?
0: At the beginning, the irony is that in the beginning, um, which is the financial issues, we thought that we would have to go back because we thought we couldn't sustain ourselves here. But it was literally like, we were in limbo. We couldn't sustain ourselves here to stay and we couldn't sustain ourselves to move back. All right. That's where we were. We were like out of out of no choice. <laughs> um, we we were saying that's you know, that decision was made for us by the powers, the universal powers that be. And then after Maria, um, there was that moment that I, like so many others, considered to we leave because it was really like the the general conversation, but it was never, we're going to leave because we can't do this anymore. It was more like, I want to leave with the boys, um, get like all the food we possibly can drink really cold drinks with ice, have, um, running water and electricity and watch movies and go to museums and then come back that it was it was very much in my mind. Um, we will take a pause, we'll go, we'll stock up on colonizer amenities, and then we'll come back. It it, it it there was nothing like Maria to reinforce my
1: conviction. Pretty amazing. Um, I heard your vlog on your blog. <laughs> that makes sense. And <laughs> yes. I was it, it was so arresting and I I needed to get you on the phone. I needed to like text you immediately because, and thank you, because in some way you were using a language that I didn't really have. But as soon as you spoke it, it reflected my truth, right? So I went, it was amazing. I, I, you know, I went, I'm Mexican American, but I have no roots in Mexico. All my family's here, very small. And during COVID, I was one of those people that traveled, and I went to Mexico to chill out, and it was the most empowering thing to see a, a Mexican environment taking care of each other, following protocols, and flourishing during this weird time. And it, and when you spoke about rematriation, it hit me to the core, <laughs> you know? can you tell me a little bit about that experience as you rematriate
0: look it's it's so funny um, that you say this it's so affirming and this I just wrote I don't have my notebook here so I just wrote this on a napkin you were using a language I didn't have but as soon as you spoke it, it reflected my truth that's so beautiful and it it um is so affirming to me so thank you for sharing that Excellent. um just as recently as this morning, i I was prompted by you know my website that I needed to renew my um, URL and and that domain name was repatriating body King. And so this is how I'm gonna answer your question. I was in the car, didn't realize what I was doing. I just renewed it. And then when I realized that I renewed repatriating, I was like, well, do I still want repatriating connected to the site? because several years ago, I changed it to rematriating. So the reason why I go back to that is it started as repatriating body because it is the term that we all know. But when I started to arrive at this decision to change everything in my language to rematriating, one of the things I chose to do was just research both terms. Mm. And one of the things that came up for me with under repatriating was a whole series of laws where, I don't know if it was Jayek or Hoover, I I don't know who was involved um, in quote-unquote repatriating Chicanos and Mexicans and Mexican-Americans to Mexico. But then, of course, we know that like a lot of the folks that were being so-called repatriated were not being repatriated because they were on their land right like before the united states and so i started to see all the ways in which repatriating uh coming from this patriarchal sense of land grabs as happened to puerto rico with the treaty of paris as happened to mexico with the treaty of guadalupe hidalgo 50 years literally 50 years apart 1848 1898 i needed a more um, fitting language and so one thing that i always knew since moving here was that i would always describe this land as the womb right and la matri and here in puerto rico there's enough times that i've heard people refer to this no as la patria sino la madre right and wow. so i wasn't using the term madre but i kept saying in english this is the womb this is the womb i returned to the womb so it just makes sense that rematriation, which is actually widely used. Um, I can't say widely used because I'm not sure how much that is the case, but in terms of the writing around it, the cultural efforts around it, the scholar, the scholarship and the activism around it, I would attribute it to indigenous people of Turtle Island using this term rematriation. Um, that you even have uh, Haudenosaunee rematriate collective and rematriation magazine right so wow. i i like to look at our situation here in puerto rico as one similar to that of indigenous peoples of and to that of people of mexico and what mexico would have represented before the conquest both spanish and u.s right right and how can we be defined this language to get back these stolen pieces of ourselves.
1: That's, that's so amazing. Um, you know, as a gay man, I've always uh, been aware of the dualities, right? Of feminine, masculine and everything in between and the powers that lie in being in the in-between. Uh, but at some point you come to the realization of, uh, well, what do I do with this knowledge? What I, how do I process this? and i've always felt that you know the the feminine power that's been so uh, kind of occulted uh and when you think of the occult you know there's there's all this feminine energy around it as well uh that's been manipulated by, by the masculine unfortunately in in your in what you're saying it just feels so right and what i'm going towards is that not only are you going on intuition but you're also very uh, educated in the scholarly aspect of what you're saying because i think a lot of times uh, artists uh, activists are just kind of uh, pushed aside as angry artists or angry activists uh, with just speaking out of emotion but you have you've always had this amazing groundedness in your research in your scholarly endeavors how did that start
0: well thank you so much for acknowledging that number one in my efforts number two as a fellow artist um understanding the margin that we work on right because as i heard you say that um, as being dismissed as angry, you know. Then we also have the flip side of that, where in activist circles, we're dismissed as, you know, our creative practice is not enough for the struggle. Um, so yeah, we we work on various margins. Um, so how can I say this? The way that I come into this work with regards to Puerto Rico and colonialism. And I'm using Puerto Rico as, I have to just, talking about language, I just need to go back a bit and say very quickly that I use Puerto Rico more as an inclusive geographic, ge- geographic term that encompasses, you know, the island of Boriqueng, which is where I live, and Vieque and Culebra, which are three islands that, that are inhabited that make up what is Puerto Rico the archipelago. Um, recognizing Puerto Rico's colonial name, but I usually speak of renaturity and which is the main island that my parents were born on and that I live on. Um, so I come into this work in high school. I was at the Guardia High School of the Arts in New York City as an art major. And then my dad in car rides started talking to me about this, you know, the, the Puerto Rican nationalist movement, um, Puerto Rican political prisoners, just different aspects of, of colonial history that we don't normally hear about, and speaking also more on our indigenous heritage, our African heritage. And so in high school, as I'm learning these different art practices, um, I start to use them as a sort of journal to document my this process of self-education. When I get up to school to, to study at university, which I go to major in art, but I go to Cornell University. And so then I had that same thing. I I needed there. Because people are like, why are you going to Cornell to study art? Then as two Puerto Rican parents, they're like, you're going to college. You This is the first generation of family going to college and you're going to study art. Kind of like, what a waste, right? <laughs> and then... Um, with students on campus it it was always like what are you doing studying art and I always felt like I had to compete and substantiate myself my work with um with that scholarship aspect but I also understood like on that campus there were seven libraries right this is pre-internet so everything that I had to learn I had to like hike across this huge campus and physically get into the books and find the work and um When I remember that when I graduated, I spent an additional summer just like researching by then the internet hit and I was like, Well, I don't have internet back at home. So if I stay here, I could do my job search and I stayed. But as soon as I was a graduate of Cornell and no longer an active student, I lost all my privileges. Like I couldn't take books out of the library. Y eso me impacto. That like shocked me. The, the weight, access, and privilege work, wow. so w- one of the things that I started doing was going into their rare manuscripts collection, and since my pre-thesis and thesis semesters, I was taking political cartoons of 1898 and collaging them into my work, so I had this understanding that I had to take those documents and those images and via my paintings, bring it back to the community, right? Like, wow. <laughs> I <just stood> <laughs> I had access to stuff that other people were not going to have access to. I was from East New York, Brooklyn, and how can I bring this back to my community? And that was how that practice began of using my art to document what I was learning, but then likewise, use it to teach these histories that were mostly suppressed by colonialism and by racism.
1: That's that's incredible. Um, can I ask you how... Receptive was the community to take this information and uh, roll with it as to, for lack of a better word.:
0: So um, it's interesting because I don't return to East New York um, in Brooklyn. I, I return there maybe for a month or so or a few weeks, and I, I my first job out of Cornell is at Puerto Puertorriqueño in Philadelphia right so i took it to another community um i graduated in 1997 a year shy of the centennial of the u.s invasion of puerto rico and i was gung-ho i mean i was not going to get some day job sitting behind some desk i was going to make sure that i could be immersed completely in an environment where i could focus on this invasion on this um significant commemoration and work with the community work with children um, work with art to ensure that people knew this history and that's what I did I found that in North Philadelphia and it was a super receptive community a super receptive institution um, you know similar to the history that you see with the Boricua in New York with the Museo del Barrio in New York at the same time you have much more like Calle Boricua, Calle Puerto Rico emerges from what was called Cinco Graphics because it was in La Calle Cinco, el Bloque de Oro in El Bay of Philadelphia. It was a graphic workshop, workshop, much like the the, the, the Debeco practice we saw here in Puerto Rico, much like we saw with Fall Boricua in New York, that then emerges into this full blown Puerto Rican cultural arts institution that's still there today
1: wow that's really lucky (laughs) that's or you know you you called it into your life that's amazing This podcast is sponsored by me and CollageDream.com. Get your collage kits and start making space for your personal narratives through collage. Want to dive in deeper? Take a collage therapy session. Nope, I'm not a doctor, nor am I an engineer, but I am an artist. Let me help you get through your blocks, creative inquiries, and guide your curiosity. Go to CollageDream.com. The studio is open. One thing that I come across with a lot of, uh, I don't know, artists who are educating themselves about history, about colonialism, uh, there is a certain amount of wellness that we have to kind of cater to ourselves, right? Uh, How do you do that? How do you make sure that with everything that you've learned, with all the atrocities that you study, with all the realities that you're faced with, how do you take care of yourself? How do you keep going?
0: Thanks for asking that. It's such an important question. Um, I had this epiphany, like I would say two months ago now, um, which which was that our wellness is our greatest weapon, mm. right? Um, and it, it, I, I have to say it in that way because people who are art, whether artists or activists, like we see, this struggle towards whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, the struggle itself is the weapon and and how we're gonna get there, but that realizing that in the process we're sacrificing really the greatest weapon towards liberation, and that is our wellness, right? Yes. Um so I think when I speak to not you know um not rather being in any other place than here, it's because it's because i learned that here. I learned that by being removed from the amenities and being connected to the land and just seeing connecting to sort of like what our original essence would be as a people what is our original essence in terms of el alimento or like how we live off the land how we can heal ourselves off the land my grandfather was a curanero who worked with plants and and you know could heal people in spiritual ways and with Plant medicine, and so um, definitely being here was able to connect me to that, and it's something that brings me a lot of healing. I try to practice, you know, ways of grounding myself to this land by by planting myself, by tending to those same plants that my grandfather worked with and that other ancestors worked with. Um, since before leaving New York, I became very connected to the moon and the cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> with the, like the three stars we could see from new york city right the reason why that that has worked for me and sort of a wellness practice is because when you grow up in a in a colonized community as part of a people who have been conquered colonized and everything is framed within this community right and the the, the inferiority complex is really deep and i know for a fact that that's why my father started to speak to me about this History because you can see that. So having a practice where I'm thinking about our ancestral traditions, where I'm thinking about this earth as a collective, humanity as a collective, and even what the cosmos will represent, and nature, our natural environment, it's a way to constantly connect to something way more expansive and see myself as part of a much more beautiful, greater collective than just being a colonized Puerto Rican, right? As, as I grew up thinking of my childhood in Brooklyn. So for me, a lot of wellness comes from rooting my spirit, grounding my spirit, and never allowing those man-made amenities, that patriarchy, that competition, and all those things that fill our spirit to take hold.
1: I love that. Oh my goodness. There's so much to unpack there. Um, you said a, You said a few things. Um, so every time there is an argument about anything that's happening in the world, I feel that the answer is colonialism, <laughs> you know? But you can't answer any problem with just that one word because people glaze over and they're like, oh, here's another, you know, woke, angry uh, person of color, right? I love the way you use that word very freely and it it expresses a truth without the weight which is very refreshing um so can you I don't know tell me a little bit about how you uh, I, I, I guess the, the proper question is educated yourself about this uh and, and again not letting it weigh you down and also be kind of like a a deterrent, right? Because I think when people think, oh, Connexer, oh my God. So she doesn't speak or he doesn't speak to white people or, or they're anti-American or anti-white. Um, how, how do you resolve that?
0: Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, so I would like to, in order to answer that question, I would like to offer another word, which is for me, a deeper root to colonialism. And this is, I won't take credit for this. I'll maybe bell hooks, right? Is mm-hmm. where I get it from. And that word is lovelessness, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a bigger word to um, talk about the root of all evil <laughs> wow. uh, on this planet, or at least, you know, across humanity. And it, it essentially is lovelessness, right? It's This is what's at the essence of why people would seek power, seek to overpower others seek to conquer others and what belongs to others and so that for me you know is if, if our greatest weapon towards liberation is wellness then our greatest weapon in wellness and liberation and all of this would be love and so i think that I think that's what i teach my children i i say to them that the opposite of love is not hate and the opposite of love is fear like if we allow ourselves to go into a vibration of fear then that's where all these other things are born that's where hatred is born that's where self-loathe is born and so just trying to stay at uh sort of the frequency of love is how i i reconcile (laughs) this sort of day-to-day so for example this morning i wake up to the news that a child of three years old passed away in viex as a result of there not being a hospital in Vieques for many years. So last year, Vieques lost a 13 year old child, and now we have a three year old that passed away. And so that just jacked me up for the rest of the day, right? I'm moving about my day extremely heavy, and it's easy to fall into that pattern of just, you know, hating on all the systems and power structures that make it such. Um, but what I do instead, is then bring it back to the people. Like I am in communication with Jai's mother, Jai Liris, is the girl who died last year. And just seeing her pulse and honoring the humanity of her post as she witnesses this happening again. It's like reliving it. It's like who has been listening to her struggle at demanding justice in a hospital for Vieques. And just by connecting to the folks that are there, by connecting to this mother whose love was so great that she tries to ensure that all Vieques children will be safe, not just her own. I take it back to where the love is, right? That's where I try to keep the focus, lift the people who are coming from a place place of love. Oftentimes, we get into this combative energy of just literally going to war with the colonizer, and it's like ping-pong. Ellos no tiran, nosotros le tiramos a ellos, and that's the difference between being reactionary and revolutionary or evolutionary. And so just always focusing on my heart space, that what I do, what I say, what I put out into the world, all actions will come from my own heart center versus a response to one of these loveless power structures or, you know, power-hungry people. Because then that takes me out of that space, and I'm no longer being authentic and true to myself.
1: How powerful! And I think uh, you know it's it's so easy to watch the news and see a uh, a report on something like you just mentioned and internalize it, feel sad about it, and then flip the channel or, or look for another YouTube video. Uh, but to have the gumption and the love to reach out and, and kind of, you know, cut through all of the, the hype of the media and acknowledge that this is a real person, this is a real story, we're going through this together is such a powerful thing, not only, well, you know, not only for, it's a powerful exchange, right? Of human interaction. Uh, so that, that's really amazing.
0: You. I mean, for me, my greatest inspiration are just the people from, Right, like I'm learning so much. Like I, I think that that's another important thing. Um, going back to the matriation thing is not making it clear that I didn't do this work and was learning about Puerto Rico to teach about Puerto Rico. Like that, I came here with a specific um, plan that I was going to learn from this space. Right. I think sometimes you hear that thing of like, oh, this side is more political than that side. This side is more active. And so just trying to come here with this humility and just really trying to understand the way Caribeñas work, right? So there has to be a certain wisdom, an innate ancestral wisdom because we're here today and somehow our ancestors survived these atrocities, survived these cataclysms, survived these seas, survived hurricanes. So there's something to learn from the ways of how our people lived for so long. And and I think that remembering that and remembering that power is what helps keep me in that sort of space of love. I love my people. And when I say that, I see us as this much greater web, like everyone from this whole area. You know, like being in a room with folks who lived through the earthquake in Mexico in 2017, there were so many similarities to how our experience was here post Maria, and so just seeing that repeat, right, from wherever island or wherever space you are along these fault lines, along these hurricane tracks. I mean, as humans, we can learn so much from one another, and we could just stop focusing on the differences. So that's why I try to try to be.
1: Wow, one thing that uh, that really sticks out out of many things from your vlog on your blog is i love that <laughs> you mentioned this trust that you want to trust your environment your ancestral environment and i thought oh, right like that just like it felt so right and and then you went on to talk about the amenities right like oh we can't have straight silky hair in this weather you can't have uh, like you <laughs> said, a cold drink of water, you know, and and I'm like, duh, right, you're so right. So why look for it, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. In the the resistance. That's that was the hardest, one of the hardest lessons that I had to mm. learn here. Because in in sort of like in movement spaces, everybody's like the resistance. You gotta resist. And then but the, <laughs> I should say, body gain was like, nah, <laughs> you you can't be in resistance. Uh, um wow. you have to be fluid. Because right. when we're when we're resistance and we're not allowing our own stuff to unfold. We're and that's I guess that's the problem that I speak of. That obviously we have to resist many of these things that are happening today. We have to resist what's happening in Palestine. We have to resist what's happening to Black lives and trans lives in the United States and across the planet. But I believe that a more effective way of reaching that space is by being fluid and trusting of our own frequency. The you know, not using their tactics, not using um, their rubrics to measure our own selves and measure our worth because of the ways like never mind defunding the police. How's about the way we police our own selves, right? So there's a lot of ways that we have to heal ourselves before we could focus on being in opposition to anyone else. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It, it's a really intricate work to figure out how to do both simultaneously. And what we've seen a lot of, right, that's why we have this whole decolonial theory. What we've seen is a lot of resisting of these power structures and then countries that are so-called liberated, but still going through civil wars and all of these things, right, still functioning is colonized like we see in Colombia today. And so how can we rethink this model (laughs) so we can just stop beating on ourselves and on each other?
1: Yeah, there's so so much in there. My God, I could speak to you for days and hours and years. Uh, So before I let you go, I'm just really curious. What is one thing that surprised you in, in a good way, in a weird way, in a cosmic way, of your rematriation.
0: I was surprised by this is gonna sound awful. (laughs) I was surprised by the generosity, the abundance and the bravery of people coming from New York. Everyone is to themselves, right? Uh, Everything is about always having enough for you to function because everything in New York is so expensive and when i moved here what i have what i found were how neighbors who basically didn't know you because you hadn't lived there your whole life how quick they were to share every single thing they had and help in whatever way they could and how living and planting in the land creates the sense of abundance that u.s amenities may never understand right so that Someone planting trees here that give fruit will know that if you hold on to these, if you hoard these, they are just going to rot, right? As opposed to like, if there's 300 mangoes on a tree, you can have a whole tribe by sharing these and cultivating relationships. And then there's this belief that the more that you give and the more that you share, the more the land will give you. Wow. And so that just sort of flipped my whole way of seeing. Yeah, that that was what surprised me, and then also their bravery in the face of these challenges, like hurricanes and things like that, power outages. Like, you know, New Yorkers have this rep that we're like these badass people wherever we go. And I just know, like, three inches of snow falls in New York, and like the city shuts down, or there's a blackout, and the the city will shut down. And seeing what can happen in the Caribbean through um, these hurricanes or anything I really understand what
1: badass is that's incredible Yasmin thank you so much for spending this time with me and like I said I can speak to you for hours so I probably will be inviting you on again and just asking you to say the exact same thing but I need to hear it again over and over so thank you for spending time with me
0: Thank you for having me. It's such a, whatever. This is like awesome. This is our little virtual reunion and I'm very grateful. Thank you.
1: Cheers. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you've heard something that moved you, please share it. You are the candle that can ignite a thousand flames. I am Luis Martin, the art engineer, sharing with you what moves me.